live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It is going to be an interesting week for the Milwaukee Brewers, who, despite kind of spinning their wheels a little bit with a very, very tough schedule, they find themselves in first place in their division by a game and a half coming home for a, a homestand where they're going to be playing teams that, that presumably they're better than, the Florida Marlins and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Here's what the interesting choice they face is. Last year, the Brewers had a couple players that, that really car- carried them. One is Travis Shaw, who plays third base and has played second base. Shaw has been a star for the Brewers for the last two years, but he's he's just completely and totally lost it this year. He's hitting 163, four home runs, eight RBIs for the entire season, and they played close to 60 games, and 50 strikeouts and 135 at-bats. Gru, who's producing the show, my guess is... You you might be able to. I, I don't know that you do worse than 50 strikeouts and 135 at-bats. Can I tell you something? Yep. Traded for him in my fantasy baseball league. You traded for him in your fantasy baseball at the beginning of the year? or At the, oh, at the beginning. How's that he working was, out for you? He was hitting you? maybe 220, and I'm like, he's he's better than this. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> oh, no. Mm. 163. Okay, so what they did is he developed this mysterious wrist ailment about a week ago, 10 days ago, and so they sent him... They sent him down to the minor leagues. And I think, you know, maybe he really did hurt his wrist, or maybe this was a chance to get him straightened out. And by the way, Travis Shaw is a great teammate. Um, I, I've interviewed him a couple times on our opening day show. He's a great guy, but he, he's not performing. Now, you'd be able to perhaps deal with that, except for the fact that they've got other big stars who are not performing. Jesus Aguiar, who, remember, really carried the Brewers. For the first half of last year, and remember the the big push. Let's get Jesus Aguiar on the on the All Star team and stuff. Hit thirty five home runs last year, a lot of which came in the first half of the season. Hundred and eight runs. I mean, he was a big producer. He tailed off at the end, but he's been he's been awful this year as well. He's hitting one ninety four homers, twenty three RBIs. All right, so. He's on the roster. He's not performing. Then you've got Eric Thames, the other first baseman, who's um, doing a little bit better. He's hitting two fifty four with seven home runs. So he, he's playing a little bit better. But you've got Shaw that's not performing. You've got Aguiar that's not performing. Here's the problem, though. Aguiar, you can't send him down to the, the minor leagues. He's out of options. So... If you wanted to get him to the minor leagues, you'd have to expose him to waivers, and you'd lose him. Some other team would cover him. So the problem is, Travis Shaw is ready to come back from the minor leagues. They're go- they say they're going to reinstate him this week. It means somebody has to go. Well, normally, the person who would go would be the one that replaced him on the roster, and that would be this super second baseman that they brought up, this uh, Keston Hura. Um, the organization's top prospect. The problem is 
that Harris he, he he's hitting. I mean, he's just he's um, hitting two eighty one. He's got five home runs in seventeen games. Travis Shaw has four home runs over the whole season. The guy, um, it's just he's doing really really well. And plus, you know, he's had um, a huge home run the other night in Pittsburgh. The, the kid is clearly a, a player. And so the question becomes, you know, what do you do? How can you send the guy who, next to Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain, might be the most valuable player on the team, how can you send him down to make room for either Travis Shaw or to keep Aguilar on the on the team right now. So those are all the issues that they have to have, and I'm sure they're going to try to figure out something to do to avoid sending this kid down because he's one of the best players they have. But it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out this week. All right, Saturday night, 8-10, shots fired um, on Oakland Avenue outside the Miramar Theater. The Miramar Theater is uh, a small venue. It's been a number of things o- over the years. It was a church for the longest time, 350 seats. Uh, they describe it on the Internet as a hipster dance club and bar with a chill vibe. Well, not on Saturday night. What they were doing is they had a, um, a show of local rap artists. Um, some of the artists were, let's see, Munch Lauren, the MT Twins, Bankhead, 54 Baby Trey, Spanish Rice, um, Merry Boys, Chicken Pea, etc., etc., etc. So it, it was a it was a rap show. What happened was a fight breaks out inside the club. People start running out of the club, and all of a sudden, shots are fired. Two 20-some-year-old women are hit. A 25-year-old guy is hit. The shooter is at large. We know that the fight started inside the club. We don't know, at least from the reports, is if one of the people involved in, in that fight had a gun with them or you know went out to the car, their car outside, and got a gun. Don't, don't know. But we know that this all originated inside, inside the club. And, of course, you had all the other area businesses that essentially closed down. There were stories about people, you know, in area restaurants, you know, hitting the floor because they they heard all the gunshots. And, again, the shooter is still at large. Now, I spent some time this morning, thanks to some comments that some of you offered me, and and I was on YouTube, and I was – I was watching some of the videos of a number of the performers that they have out on YouTube. I have not linked to this because, candidly, I I just didn't feel comfortable doing it. And trust me, I can't play any of these rap tunes on the radio because it'd be nothing but beeps. But I'll give you, I, I mean, a couple, you watch the ones I watched, and the F word is every three words. The N-word is every three words. There's a lot of things with uh, the, the commonality is reveling with drug dealing and big wads of money and women dancing. And a couple of them, you know, are featuring guns. Um, one of the performers in particular, the 54 Baby Trey, the one I'm looking at is it, it's a, a bunch of young guys that are pointing guns at the camera and things like that. I mean, it's 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 your stereotypical sort of rap music. And it's the type of thing about rap music that, you know, makes a lot of us kind of raise our eyebrows because it appears to be glorifying 
that type of lifestyle, which is not something that I think people you know should glorify. Now, I understand the elephant in the room with what we're about to talk about is I, I don't know the makeup of the audience. The performers were largely African-American. Maybe I think they might have been exclusively, at least the build ones, might be exclusively African-American. But here you have this incident inside the club at this rap show, which then spills out. So you have shots fired on Oakland Avenue in the city of Milwaukee um, on, on a Saturday night at 810, and the shooter's still at large. Right? Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I'm not going to argue that the organizers and the owners of the theater shouldn't be able to book performers like this. I mean, that that's their, that is clearly their right to do that. And I'm not going to argue that people, if you choose to attend these kind of shows, shouldn't, you know, be able to attend the shows. That's all fine. I do raise the question, though, about given the nature and the content of what these performances are, shouldn't people be on alert, particularly the, the people that that put on the show, Shouldn't they be alert that maybe there is a higher possibility than, say, if this was a Jackson Brown crowd, you know, at the Riverside Theater, that you, maybe you need added security and you need a way to deal with this type of stuff rather than having everybody rush out onto the street and, and then shots fired? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I look at this, and this was my this is my reaction. If you're going to put on shows like this, and that's fine. You have every right to do that. You, you need to have, I think, a larger security presence than they apparently had to stop people from just fleeing out onto the street. If it if, and I don't know for sure because they're not saying, if this person who was responsible for the shooting actually brought the gun into the theater as opposed to leaving the theater after this fight and getting the gun and shooting, well, that raises another issue. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. No problem with staging these shows, but but given the nature of the performances, I mean, don't you need enhanced security? Because, frankly, you can't have shootings breaking out at 810 in the evening, you know, on Oakland Avenue in Milwaukee, almost in Shorewood. 414-799-1620. We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. Let's start with Mark and Racine. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Uh yeah, I read that article online, and I was taken aback because Miramar Theater, you think that's kind of a tame place. But then I looked into the article a little bit in depth, and I saw, oh, okay, it's a rap thing that they they held there. Well, that formula is tried and true for disaster. Uh, I can think of four four places off the top of my head where they had rap and hip-hop, and they closed within, a, within about a year. There's Pure, that was a long time ago, Emerald Club. Ladybug, there's another place down in Kenosha called Bragados, which uh, they had a hip-hop night like every Saturday night, and, and uh, mm-hmm. they did it for about six months, and that turned into a disaster because there was a shooting. So if you want to be an owner and have a surefire way of closing your business, uh, that's the way to do it. You have a hip-hop night, and, and, and I w- the place down in Kenosha, they had plenty of security, but you just mm-hmm. can't stop it. That's just that's the nature of uh, the people that are associated with, with hip-hop, the nature of the people that, that want to go to these uh, events, and um, 
and they promote it, like you said. They, well, they well I mean, I, I will tell you this, Mark. I mean, I, I spent 20 minutes of my life that I went back <laughs> this morning looking at a number of, of YouTube videos posted by a number of the performers. And, the, the, so, and I, again, I, I don't care if you're into hip-hop or, or rap or, or whatever, but at least the, the YouTube videos that I was looking at from a number of these performers, it, it, it clearly it glorified guns, it glorified drug dealing, it was... It was that kind of stereotypical sort of rap stuff. One that caught my attention is this one by one of the performers who looks like a, a teenager, you know, pointing multiple handguns and stuff at the camera. And I'm going, wow, you know, it's just, it's like, gee, should we be surprised then that somebody's going to emulate this and show up with a gun themselves? Yeah. Well, I don't. You, you just have to wonder what goes through these owners' heads. All you have to do is just look into history. I know, you know, the, the problem is that they have a short-term thought process that they figure they can make a lot of money they can jam that place with a bunch of people and uh you know and and cross their fingers that nothing wrong is going to happen well it's going to happen period that, that's just the that's just the formula yeah you could have armed guards outside but what but but then again you you could do a little bit better in the security end of this thing by having metal detectors and and, 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 and to tell you the truth, Mark, and again, and I, I don't know. I, I don't. I've never been in this venue. It's very, very small. Like I say, it used to be a church. It's it's an older building. I read some of the reviews online, and it's it's a very kind of small, semi decrepit is what I the impression I get facility. But it's it's seats three hundred fifty people, so it's it's arguably you know a great intimate venue to see shows. They say in the center of it, there's folding chairs, and then there's like movie theater chairs on either side, and there's a bar that's air conditioned, and the regular place isn't air conditioned. I mean, again, it it seems like it's only three hundred fifty people, so you're not going to be booking the really big acts. But you know, this this was supposed to be, and I think this was built as kind of a local rap type of show. I also, in fairness, don't know if the shooter had gotten into the venue. I don't know if they had metal detectors or not. I don't know if the shooter had gotten into the venue, gone past the metal detectors with the gun, or instead, you know, left the venue or had always been outside the venue and just had the gun with them then. But it does appear that this is all linked to a fight that started inside the venue itself. 414-799-1620. Rick in Brookfield. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How Eric, are you? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, as you, you kind of hit all my key points with the last <laughs> caller, that this type of music glorifies that type of action um, with the guns, with the drugs, with the, the lifestyle. Um, in my opinion, it's no coincidence that rap rhymes with crap. <laughs> well. um, and it just kind of it, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way that these people. Um, you know, glorify and promote this kind of stuff and cause this kind of, uh, you know, uproar in in a city that uh, shouldn't have it. Yeah, and again, and this is, I I mean, I was watching the news accounts of it, and of course you're you're talking about, I mean, this this is, you know, Oakland Avenue is, in that part of Oakland Avenue, it's lots of businesses, lots of restaurants. I mean, I'm watching interviews with people that are sitting in some of the area restaurants, and they're saying, you know, we just hear shots fired, and everybody, you know, everybody's hitting the ground, and all the restaurants close and lock the doors so nobody can go out. No, it was... It, it was just a stone cold mess, and of course they don't they don't know who the shooter was, or at least that's what the reports are now. And it's just well, it used to be when you got in a fight, you go you know you you go fight a little bit. Yep. Now it's like you go get your gun and you shoot each other. Yeah, you know there's no there's no respect for human life. Anymore. Yeah, like, no. 
No, you're right, Rick. There's no value. There's no value. Well, Rick, no, you know, that is one of the biggest distinctions over the last couple decades. And I don't mean to sound like a old timer, but it it really was used to be you get you get into a fight in a venue and it's two guys or two gals or whatever. They go out and they punch each other. And, you know, maybe worst case scenario, somebody ends up needing stitches or something. Nowadays, it, it does appear more often than not that what happens is somebody gets offended. You get this fight and then somebody pulls out their handgun and starts, you know, shooting. And I, I appreciate that there's limitations as to what security can do. At the same time, if you're going to stage a show that has this type of entertainment, I want to be real clear here. I'm I'm not I'm not a rap banner. If you, I, I mean, I, I understand there there is the popularity of this music, but when you have performers who glorify the use of weapons and criminal activity and stuff like that. Oh, okay, fine. That, that tells you that maybe it's a different type of security element that you need. Let's talk to Lamar in Orlando. Lamar, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, you know, I hate that hip-hop has gotten such a bad rap. And the, I say that because, you know, Jay-Z had a concert here in Orlando last year, part of his big tour, and it was at a stadium, and there was no incidents. There's a there's a group of young artists that are not well known and not mainstream. They go to these smaller venues and they attract what I call the idiot crowd. Mm-hmm. I don't even I hate that that's even associated with the genre that I love because it's not it, it's a, it's a certain just a certain group of, of, of hip hop performers mm-hmm. that you know still that are still on that what we call foolishness. Okay. And this this crowd the same crowd of people could go to any events whether it be a rap concert or whatnot and you get the, the same the, the same end result. And so, you know, I do think that, you know, when you're talking about these smaller name groups, I do think they need more security, but they, they attract that, that crowd of ignorant folks that are just drawn to these type of events that it takes nothing to set them off. Uh, well, right, right. And I guess, you know, maybe maybe it's unfair, but I, I hear about it more at, at these type of events. Now, somebody just texted me saying, well, there, there's hip-hop things that happen, you know, every week, and, you know, you don't have shootings. Well, okay, that that's great, but, you know, you don't you don't have shootings at the Country Western shows either. I mean, it seems to me that, to your point, right, there, there's at least a certain element that gets attracted to that type of performance, and, and, and maybe maybe they give everybody else a bad name. That could be fair. And, it, and it's always a younger crowd, too. Yeah. It's, it's that, that, you know, you know young adult you know, younger than 25 crowds that, you know, no matter what, you're going to get this foolishness. And I hate that it, you get to that level, and I hate that they're associated with hip-hop because, again, I'm a big fan of hip-hop. Got it. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Well, I, I mean, I don't know what the fallout is, is going to be. I know there's this ongoing investigation, but I do know that you can't have – the authorities have to get together with the management of the theater and figure out, okay, are there things that we can do within you know, what our mission is? Are there things that we can do that make this less likely to happen in the future? It's 1229. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, another day, another mass shooting. Friday, had the story, um, late Friday afternoon, you had the story from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Shooting that left 12 public employees dead. It was a a 15-year veteran of the Public Works Department who apparently went to, you know, went into work, 
had a couple firearms, a couple handguns with him. The building that he went into where he worked was an older building that it was kind of like maze-like, lots of little rooms and stuff. He went in and started strategically shooting co-workers. Ended up, a couple police officers arrived on the scene, and there was a gun battle, and the shooter himself ended up uh, dying. The guns that the shooter had were purchased legally by him. He had no prior criminal record. These were handguns that he had purchased legally, one in 2016, one in 2018. He also had a, a what's called a suppressor. Some people might refer to it as a silencer, but it's a suppressor. Um, suppressors are legal in Virginia. They are illegal in Virginia Beach. So, I mean, he he legally was not able to own this thing in the community where he lived, but he was able to legally purchase it in the state. So anyhow, you now have, you know, 12 people dead. They go back. It's the same conversation. We always have people saying, well, you know, the guy, guy worked here for 15 years. He was a good employee. There had been a couple incidents in the recent past where he'd gotten into arguments with his coworkers, but nothing that indicated that he was a powder keg that was going to show up and start indiscriminately shooting people. So again, here's, and then to go out and interview the neighbors, and I was watching some of this, they're talking to the guy that lived below him. He said, no, oh, he seemed like a nice, quiet guy. You know, we'd exchange pleasantries, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the reality. And again, this is another situation that this was not, this was not a semi-automatic, you know, quote unquote, assault weapon that the guy had. Um, he had handguns. He did have a, a suppressor on it, which might have made it a little bit more difficult for people at the very beginning to understand what was going on. But people caught on very, very quickly. But in any event, this was a guy who came in, had a couple handguns that he had legally obtained and that he was legally able to own. And he used them to commit this horrible act of violence. Here is is the reality. And after this happened, again, you had a lot of the usual suspects that were talking about, you know, gun control. Well, we need universal background checks and all these type of things. But all these different measures would not have stopped the man from being able to legally obtain these firearms and then acting out in this fashion. The only thing that would have prevented this, and let's cut to the chase here, the only thing that would have prevented this is if people would not legally be allowed to own handguns. All right, so are we at this point? Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All these different quote-unquote gun control measures that people trot out whenever you have one of these shootings, in this particular case, it wouldn't have stopped anything. He had the guns legally. He had no prior criminal record. He was working as a public employee. He was a civil engineer, for goodness sakes. There was nothing in his background that would have caused somebody to um, not sell him a gun. In addition, you know, we talk about these red flag laws, which, hey, if you've got somebody that's showing signs of mental imbalance, family members can come and try to take the guns away. Okay, that wouldn't stop the shooting. All right, the only thing that would have stopped the shooting is if we would have decided in this country nowadays we have had enough and we're willing to either reinterpret or repeal the Second Amendment and take away the private ownership of firearms. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are we at this point? Would you Have you had enough? And would you support taking away firearms from people in an effort to try to stop 
things like this that happen all too often from happening in the future. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, let me share a couple texts with you before we start taking phone calls. And I, I mean, I, I raise this question because, it, again, we talk about gun control measures and universal background checks and things like that. And candidly, on some of these issues, I, I don't have a problem. But let, let's be real. All these measures, or many of them, are unlikely to stop shootings like occurred last Friday in Virginia Beach. The guy, you know, was a public employee, no history of mental illness. He'd had a couple arguments with some of his co-workers, but, you know, nothing that would have created a red flag indicating that he was about ready to do what he was going to do. No criminal record. The guns that he used in the shooting were all legally obtained. And so the truth of the matter is all these different gun control measures would not have stopped him from being able to do what he did on Friday. The only thing that would have stopped this is if we were to say, okay, we're not going to allow private individuals to own firearms in this country. Are we at that point? Now, I, I asked this rhetorically, but here's a couple of the texts I got. Jeff, what do you actually need guns for? The answer is you don't need them. That's one of our texters. Jeff, yet another day and yet another shooting where we talk around in circles and pretend that nothing can be done. Gun control works everywhere else in the world. I guess it must be magic. Another text, Jeff, I've had enough. Gun owners need to work with local and national governments to keep some restrictions that help keep us safe. All right. And then Rocky says, Jeff, are you kidding? Absolutely not. Okay, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in Appleton. Hi, Dave. Good afternoon, Jeff. Yes, sir. I, I'm sorry, I vehemently disagree with you. Well, I'm not. Ar- I'm not advocating. I'm raising the question. I'm, I'm not. Don't I, get me wrong. I'm not saying we should take everybody's guns. I don't think that's practical. Is but but some people are saying that. Well, it doesn't matter if it was illegal. So what? I'm sure that the guy that shut up the hip hop club wasn't legally possessing a weapon. Yep. I mean, that's part of the problem. Is first off, what would solve the problem would be concealed carry for everybody he walks in there and everybody else is packing he shoots two people and the rest of them shoot him mm-hmm. i travel all over the country texas oklahoma no one sticks up gas stations or grocery stores or convenience stores down there because the guy behind the counter is packing and so are six of the eight mm-hmm. customers in the store are packing they so you think the answer to door. things like you think the answer to things like this is not less guns it's more guns correct and number two the other thing you need to do is get, you want to have laws, if you commit a crime with a firearm, any crime, if you're shoplifting and you're carrying a weapon, you go to jail for 10 years. You do the whole 10, I don't care, build your prisons. Mm-hmm. Well, I, thanks. You, you know, in that particular respect, you are preaching to the choir. I mean, I, I listen to all this, this lip service about we want to crack down on gun crimes and things like that, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think when you catch people with firearms that they own illegally or who use firearms in the commission of a crime, I I, I don't want to hear this, oh, you know, we're going to put you on double secret probation or we're going to give you five years, but then we're going to suspend the sentence and let you serve six months in a a jail-type facility. I agree with you. We're either going to get serious about this 
or we're not. I do think that there are reasonable gun control measures that, that people of goodwill should be able to agree on. For example, I'm a big proponent of, of some of these like red, what they call the red flag laws, which are if, if you have, if there is somebody in your life that is developing, you know, that appears to be unstable, et cetera, et cetera, and, and you know they've got weapons, you know, what you can do is you can go to the authorities, and there still has to be due process, but, you know, at least the courts can take a look at it and say, all right, you know, this person's made various threats and stuff. Maybe they shouldn't have access to firearms. I mean, I, so I do believe that there's things you can do. Don't get me wrong. As a practical matter, though, I, I think, unfortunately, Unfortunately, this is kind of the nature of where we are because you're unless you are going to go to the level where we're going to confiscate firearms. And I don't even know how you would do it. Let's forget about the Second Amendment. We're going to go door to door and make people surrender their firearms. I just don't think it's going to happen because how many tens of millions of firearms do you have out there? And the reality is. The reality is that 99.9% of the people who own firearms are responsible firearm owners. So the question becomes, do you take away everybody's guns, even if you could do that, simply to address the handful of psychos that are out there? Unfortunately, when those psychos act out, though, the effects are catastrophic, like happened on Friday. James in St. Francis. James, you're on WTMJ. Hi, James. you got to turn down your radio. Okay, what do you think? Go ahead. uh, There's the old advantage. The uh, only outlaws will own guns if we control guns. Uh, And it's pretty much a fact that everybody in the city can buy a handgun if they want one, whether they're a felon or not. You just go to the north side, want to buy some marijuana, I buy some paint pills, buy some heroin. I want to buy a handgun for 10, 15 bucks, you can get a handgun. Yeah. I don't think any law is going to change that, and I think it's uh, bad to take handguns away from uh, lawful people and the right to bear handguns for right. self-protection and such. So. Well, and you're going to make you're, you're going to turn millions and millions of law otherwise law-abiding Americans into criminals because there's a lot of people that just are going to say, "I'm not going to surrender my gun." They're, they're, they're not going to do it. And so, I mean, you want to talk about if people are reluctant to build prisons for people who get cat caught using firearms in the commission of a crime, imagine what was going to happen if everybody who didn't surrender a firearm, suddenly, you know, they then become a criminal. You're, you know, you're going to have three-quarters of the population in this country, or maybe half, you know, behind bars. Totally agree with you. Yeah, it's, I mean, thanks. It, it's just not practical. And, and look, I, I express and understand the frustration that so many people have. That's why I think we need to have an honest conversation when it comes to, to firearms. I, as a practical matter, you are not going to be able to ban firearms in this country and then confiscate. You're just not going to be able to do it. Now, you, you can nibble around the edges. That's true. You can say, okay, do we, do you need, do you need certain types of, of rifles or do you need some of the large capacity, you know, magazines so somebody can fire 20 or 30 shots without having to reload? All right. I, I think those are discussions that you can have. But at the same time, we got to realize that unless we are going to make a conscious effort to remove firearms from society, you're, you're not going to be able to ever guarantee safety. Um, that's why I think, you know, you have to look at, at other sort of measures. 
you have to explore the idea of, you know, more metal detectors and more security guards and, you know, more security at public buildings and more security, you know, at perhaps places of worship. They're looking at that now. That's just it's an unfortunate thing, but it's the reality. Nowadays, you go to a baseball game. okay? you you go through a metal detector. You go to certain you know music venues. You go through a metal detector. You go to some public buildings. You want to get into the federal building downstairs or the courthouse in the safety building in Milwaukee or the courthouse in Milwaukee. You go through metal detectors. They search your bags. It is an unfortunate reality of the society we live in. But I think as a practical matter, that's the way we start having to go. And it's unfortunate, but it's the reality. And I'm just, don't get me wrong, I'm just as frustrated as anybody else with this stuff that happens like it happened on Friday. But I also get frustrated by the knee-jerk reaction of some of the people saying, oh, well, this is why we need universal background checks, which which may be a good idea. But again, it has nothing to do with the guy that was involved in the shooting on Friday who legally owned the firearms, who had no criminal record, and who had given no real indication that he was likely to wake up one morning and decide that this is the day that he's going to go to work and start shooting up his, his office and killing some of his co-workers. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. I, I am a big fan of We Energies. I understand that that's kind of a funny thing. Oh, how can you like utilities? Actually, I think We Energies does a, a very good job at what they, they do, and I think they do a tremendous job of keeping the lights on. And I, I think nobody likes to pay high utility rates or whatever, but I, I think I think that the service is worthwhile. So I am a fan of We Energies. Let me go on the record as saying that. Having said that, I do not, for the life of me, understand why are they are picking this particular battle with people who own solar panels. Let me explain this, and, and then we're going to have a brief discussion of it. But let me give you an example, uh, so you can make it maybe make it more understandable. Right now, we have a huge debate going on in this state and in this country with how we are going to pay for repairs to our roads in Wisconsin. There's two ways we pay for road repairs. One is by the uh, is through the registration fee that we all pay when we register our cars. The other is through the gas tax. All right. Every time you buy a gallon of gas, you pay a a tax, a certain you know percentage, with thirty two cents or whatever in Wisconsin for the gas tax. All right. Well, the question becomes, what do you do with people who have the electric cars? They pay the registrations. They use the roads. But they buy little, if any, gas. The pure electric cars use no gas. The hybrids, maybe you get 70 or 80 miles. They're, they're using electricity. So they're using the roads, but they're not contributing to the cost of supporting the roads, at least not the people like the people who have the internal combustion engines. So the question becomes, is that fair? The people driving electric cars aren't paying their fair share. Should we make them pay more? That's one of the arguments that's going on. That is a version of this solar energy discussion that's going on with We Energies. And the Journal Sentinel and the Wisconsin State Journal had a couple stories on this. Let me break this down real simple. There are a relative handful of We Energies customers, like 430, who have invested in 
solar energy. So they've got the panels that are up on their roof so that when the sun comes out, they generate the energy they use to, um, again, heat their hot water heaters and keep the lights on and watch their TVs and all that type of stuff. It's generated through the solar energy. Some days in the summer, they actually they generate more energy than they need for a particular home, so they actually sell some of their energy over to, to we Energy. But, of course, the problem with solar energy is... Around here, the sun does not always shine. Like the sun hasn't shown too much in the, the last, you know, couple months. And of course, during winter, you've got clouds, you've got snow, the sun goes down early. Solar energy, the solar panels don't generate enough electricity to power the houses. So what happens is even the folks that have the solar panels, they have to buy electricity when when they need it. The solar panels are great, but it's not a permanent solution in Wisconsin. All right. We Energies says that of the cost of electricity, now follow me here, about 80% of the cost that we pay in electricity is is really it's what they call fixed costs investments that they have to make in the power plants, transformers, power lines, and all the other equipment that makes up the system. And those costs that We Energies occurs are, are fixed no matter how much electricity it sells. The other 20% of the cost is from, you know, the cost of the coal, and I don't burn coal anymore, but the natural gas or whatever, whatever they do to generate the electricity. All right. So what We Energies is saying is these people who have the solar panels that are up there, right? We think they should pay a higher rate because just like the people who drive the electric cars on the roads aren't paying their fair share of the fixed costs for the roads, the people that have the solar panels, they're not paying enough of their fair share for all the fixed costs and so that is, you know, the, the cost of the power plants and the maintain the transmission lines that they use, but they only use sometimes. So We Energy says the only thing to be fair to kind of level the playing field is the people that have these solar generators. They should pay more. They should pay a higher rate. They should have a surcharge over the rest of us so that, you know, they're contributing to the, the fixed costs. That's kind of how the argument goes. And, of course, a lot of the solar energy people are screaming bloody murder. They're saying, hey, what, what, you know, what's We Energy's doing here? What they're trying to do, the f- effect of this would be to discourage people who are putting up these solar panels, and they shouldn't have to pay more than the rest of us. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I said at the outset of this, I'm a huge fan of We Energies, and I understand you know what what they're saying they're saying hey you know in to some extent the people that have invested in the solar energy they're kind of like freeloading on on the rest of us they're not paying their fair share of fixed costs having said that though there's only a few hundred of them right now there's only a few hundred of them so by imposing some of these surcharges on the the, the small number of people that have these these solar grids you're not going to generate any sort of significant revenue at all. I mean, it's not like your um, utility bill is going to decrease dramatically if they charge you know, more to one of these few hundred people that have them. Also, 
if we do want to encourage alternative forms of energy and we want to encourage people to make the investment in solar power, obviously, if you have to pay more when you have to get stuff from we energies, you, you know, it's going to be a disincentive. I guess I understand in theory what they're trying to do. But candidly, this is one where it just doesn't seem to me like it's worth the effort. And I think what we should be doing is encouraging people that want to, uh, again, put up and make the investment. It's a substantial investment to go with these solar panels. I I think we should be encouraging people to do that, 414-799-1620, because my big concern is – As we start to clamp down on things moving forward, I think it's going to be tougher and tougher for utility companies to maintain the power grid and make sure there's enough power for everybody. And if you've got people that have invested in the solar energy, so maybe, especially at peak times during the summer, they're not drawing from the rest of the grid and maybe even kicking something back, I guess I think that's a good thing. I don't, I understand what We Energies is trying to do. I understand it in theory. In practice, eh, I think I'd let this one go. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, if if you want to invest in solar panels and put them up on your house, I don't think you should have to pay more for basic electricity. We discuss in just a moment. Crew is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Yeah, according to the Journal Sentinel, there were only 434 residential or commercial businesses that, that had these solar panels that were using those to, you know, uh, help offset their regular energy cost. Why, why it would be worth anybody's effort to go after them is just beyond me. John in Waukesha. John, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, you know, a few years ago, and I think they're still doing it. They're buying old refrigerators and old air conditioners, and having you know, giving you smart money credits for putting LED lighting into, so they so they can save money yeah. uh, and not have to build more power plants. So why would they be going after these people if they're if they're doing exactly that by saving them for not having to build plants? Well, well right. And I guess maybe John, if we were talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people that had them okay maybe i could understand the yeah, argument because yeah, right because yeah. then because then maybe they are kind of a freeloader and they're kind of messing up the rest of us and it's not fair but that i mean it's only 434 people for god's sake even yeah. if you charge them a few extra bucks so they pay 20 or 25 dollars more a month that's yeah, not going to affect you even make the investment right. in this stuff if, right. if they're going to charge you more you know right so, well plus yeah. that's not going to there's not enough of these people that are doing this right now that it's going to significantly lower your bill or my bill. I mean, it's just the reality of it. No, thank, no, thanks for calling. I mean, I guess I just don't. I don't understand this particular fight. Again, I get it in theory, and just like I think we have to figure out what we're going to do moving forward with the electric cars that arguably aren't paying their quote unquote fair share for maintaining the roads. This is kind of that same principle, and I I understand the principle. But I thought solar power was good. Uh, here's a text, Jeff. Um, this is from Marianne. These solar panels aren't cheap, and it takes several years to recoup the investment. Kudos to those folks who have the solar panels. Less stress on the electricity environment. We energy should leave well enough alone. Roger in Mayville. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, I put in solar panels several years ago. In fact, I put 174 panels in. And at that time, Alliant Energy was supposed to pay us exactly 
what we were paying for power that we put back in the grid. They went to the Public Service Commission and they changed the rates now so that they pay me three cents a kilowatt hour for the power I put in the grid on peak, a regular, and then they pay me two cents a kilowatt hour for power that I use on the low side. And right now, I'm paying them 12 and a half cents per kilowatt hour for energy that I use mm-hmm. and six cents for energy on the low side. And I, the idea was I wasn't trying to make money on this. All I was trying to do was just break even right. because we used a lot of power. But I generate 55,000 kilowatt hours of power. So I put a lot of power back in the grid and I'm getting very little return for it. Now, if they change the fixed cost, that's even going to put mm-hmm. further in a hole. Yeah, what did it cost you? Do you rem- ballpark? What did it cost you to put in the solar panels in the first place? Do you remember? One hundred forty thousand. One hundred and forty thousand. <laughs> okay, so I mean, you weren't doing this as a money-making thing. I mean, the, it, it would take you forever to uh, essentially to break even, right? That is correct. Yeah, so this is just more you were environmentally conscious and that type of stuff. I was environmentally conscious, and I also put in a geothermal system as well. So okay. Both, and the uh, the power that I generate was helping power up the geothermal side of it as well. Right. But right. If they put the fixed cost on there higher. That's going to put me further and further back. And people that are looking at this are going to say, "Hey, why should I invest in solar energy?" Well, I mean that that's it because it's it's not. Right. I, I guess I thought we should be – my philosophy has been we should be encouraging people to, to do that so it takes less stress off of, for example, the electric grid when when we all need it in the summers and stuff because you're actually – that's the time when you're actually kicking back some electricity when the rest of us can use it, right? Absolutely. I generate a lot of power goes back in the grid almost daily in, in the summertime like right now. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 414-799-1620. And again, I, I don't think We Energy is a bad guy. I understand what they're they're trying to accomplish. I just, it doesn't seem to me why this is worth the effort. All right, let's talk to Brendan, who is from We Energy, our media relations guy. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Thanks for talking about this issue, by the way. Sure. Okay, what am I missing here? Why are you going after the few hundred people that have the solar panels? Sure. Well, and if if I can just address one of the last things you just said, so I don't forget, when you talk about encouraging people, there are numerous subsidies, you know, mm-hmm. federally, statewide. So I mean, there there is encouragement to do solar from this charge, uh, or, not, or not. But yeah, so, but that guy, he this, said, but he he said it cost him one hundred and thirty or one hundred and forty grand to put up those solar panels, and my guess is a lot of that came out of his pocket. Possibly, our average solar installation is about four and a half kilowatts, so significantly lower than he thought about 170 panels. I mean, that was obviously a, a pretty significant. Uh, it, and the average one is le- lots less. Your listeners are not going to be, I think, spending right. that. But to the specific question around um, why, right? So this is it is about fairness. So whether it's one person or 100 people, every single dollar that solar users are not paying yet they're they're using those grid they're using the grid but they're not paying their fair share every single dollar some other customers paying so i don't have solar panels but my neighbor might i have no problem with that i encourage them to do it but that shouldn't mean that i pay for them to have those solar panels and that's what this is all about so whether it's one or a million it's shifting costs to all their customers, and that's just not fair. Yeah, but at the same time, it, it's – I mean, the numbers are – apparently there's 434 people. So how much 
how much money is that going to really generate? I mean, you're, my guess, Brandon, I don't have solar panels either. I can't imagine that my, my utility bill is going to go down dramatically if you get an extra few bucks, if you, being we energies, get a few extra bucks a month from, from 434 people. I mean, it's, we're not, I guess that's what I don't understand. Why pick this fight? Right, so it's not, but it's not about revenue that we would be getting. So this is revenue that someone else is paying. Yeah. So it's, we, you know, it's hard for us to say to our other customers, well, you should pay this while the people who have solar, who again have the same access to our grid, I mean, you've explained yeah. that, that issue well, um, that you should pay nothing or much less than somebody else just because they can't have solar. And also keep in mind, just because someone doesn't have solar, it doesn't mean they don't support solar. You might live in an apartment. You might live uh, in a place that isn't good for solar because they have lots of trees around. You might not be able to afford solar, but yet you're still paying extra for your neighbor who does it. Yes, it's only four, five, six hundred people now, and a year from now it could be a couple thousand. A year from that, right, as the cost of solar goes down to put on your house. And so if you're going to put in uh, solar, I mean, this is another important thing about this, you, you have some cost certainty. If we can establish this, this fixed cost recovery charge, that's what it is, then people understand as they start to do those calculations. Even then, our average solar, so even if we were to have this approved by the PSC, it would still be, you're still saving about $600 a year more than someone without solar. So this is not putting someone, um, they're not losing money on this deal. All they're doing is what we're asking them is to pay their fair share. Let me, even if, okay, my, because, for example, if, if, if for, our, for the snowbirds, you know, that, that, that go away and use almost no power for like three or four months, I mean, they still, end up paying a, a portion of of their their fair ch- charges, right? Correct. They're still paying their facilities charge. Correct? Okay. And it, it, for the people that that have the solar power, they're they're still paying a portion of of the the fixed cost, right? Your your point is you don't think they're paying enough of a fair share. Right, because when because the they're they're still generating energy, they're still using energy. So I mean, everyone, even the large, the strongest solar advocates in the world, would admit that when the sun is not shining, yep. they're not producing energy. So what happens? Those people they tap into our grid and they're using energy. So they're always connected to it. They're always using it. Yet because of the way they're avoiding costs, the way uh, our costs are established through energy charge versus facilities charge, they're just not paying that part of the energy charge, and that's where some a lot of those costs are baked in. So we basically say simply for the poles and wires, they're using using the poles and wires they're just not paying for the poles and wires brendan i appreciate your input i'm not with you on this one but i, I appreciate your input okay Thanks, okay take care yeah I, I again i mean i i i understand i was i'm always glad i think i explained it well i get i just for the the small um and i preach look i appreciate we energies looking out for me okay i i i appreciate that i'm just saying if we want to encourage people to put up these solar panels for the small amount of extra money that might be generated, to, to me, I, I wouldn't pick this particular fight. Now, as Brandon says, it might be a point in time where if all of a sudden you know, we turn around five years from now and you've got tens of thousands of people that have these solar panels, so it really is that those of us who don't are paying a disproportionate sh- share of the fixed costs, maybe at that point you have to look at it. I guess I just don't see it worth this fight now, and I do see it providing at least a potential disincentive for people to put up the, the solar energy panels, which I thought was something that was was good. Um, we Energies isn't a bad guy, and I'm not suggesting that. And I understand what they're doing. I just sometimes I sometimes I think there's some fights that you just don't need to pick. Um, we're back in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
If you missed it, Illinois has become the, will be, when the governor signs the bill and he says he's going to do it, um, Illinois has just, is on the verge of becoming the 11th state to legalize marijuana. And interestingly, they are the first state in which a legislature has approved the commercial sale of marijuana. Now, you might say, well, Jeff, wait a minute, what about Colorado and stuff? Well, in, in places like Colorado and Oregon, marijuana was legalized by a referendum. You know, it was one of those places where you could have the vote and it becomes the law. Illinois, it's the legislature that uh, adopted this. And so, again, as soon as the governor signs this, which will be shortly, um, it, it's going to be legal to grow and sell marijuana. Now, the, the way it works is you have to be licensed and right now there are 20 existing medical marijuana cultivation facilities which will be licensed to grow it initially um but they expect that this is going to explode with craft um craft purchasers as well once the law goes into effect illinois residents age 21 and over may possess about an ounce of marijuana um, there is certain consumption that's prohibited. For example, you're not able to smoke marijuana in a public place like on the street or in a park. You're not able to smoke it on school grounds. You're not able to smoke it in a motor vehicle. <laughs> Just I, no matter how you feel about legalized pot, it's probably a good idea that people aren't driving down the street, you know, smoking dope. I, I just, I'm just kind of saying, um, you're not allowed to legally smoke it in a correctional facility while driving a boat or flying a plane. Huh, that would sound to be a pretty good one as well. Um, or by a school, school bus drivers, police, fire, or correction officers can't smoke it while on duty. It's okay to use it at home. Okay, so then it's going to be taxed. Sales are going to be taxed at 10%, um, essentially. So th- that's that's it. It is still, I mean, marijuana still, though, remains a schedule, I think, one controlled substance. Um, so it's still illegal uh, to do it on the federal level. All right, here's what I want to talk about. And I, I we, we have discussed on multiple occasions over the last 21 years that I've been doing the show on WTMJ. We have discussed the, the idea of do, do you support legalized marijuana or don't you? And it's always kind of an interesting conversation. I would say the vast majority of people do do support legalized marijuana. I'm, I'm still not on board with that for a variety of reasons. But, all right, I understand where the tide is going. Here's what is now the interesting issue that they are being, they're going to be faced with in Illinois. The state has now legalized marijuana, right? What should employers do? Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, we have here a policy of a drug-free workplace. I, I don't, since I haven't applied for a job since we were purchased by, by Good Karma six, seven, eight months ago, um, but, but when I worked for Scripps, and before that, when this station was owned by Journal Broadcasting, I mean, they, we had a very, very strict drug policy that started with you couldn't be hired. Before you could be hired, you had to go and you had to go have a drug test, and if you failed the drug test, you know, you, you weren't going to get hired. And by failing the drug test, you know, if you came back with marijuana in your system, boom, you weren't going to get hired. So we used to always, and for all I know, we probably still do that. I just, I, I'm not aware, but my guess is we probably have a drug policy currently as well. It's not an issue with me. Um, but, 
But we would always tell, you know, potential recruits, hey, look, don't apply for this job or don't accept the job, you know, if you're going to test positive, for example, for marijuana, because, you know, you're, you're not going to get the job. It's just so don't waste everybody's time. And interestingly enough, every once in a while, people would say, oh, no worries. And then they go and they come back and they would have tested positive. All right. So now Illinois has made this legal. You know, you are going to be able to recreationally use marijuana in Illinois. Now, presumably, some people from Wisconsin might be going down to Illinois and you might be recreationally purchasing and legally using marijuana in Illinois. Here is my question. What should this do to employer workplace policies? For instance, all right, if you, you're an employer and you've got one of these conditions saying, hey, look, I, you know, no drug use, you know, no, no drug use. Now, marijuana stays in your system for what, about 30 days. So it's one of those deals where, you know, you could smoke pot on a Saturday night, right? Come into work on Tuesday. Get a surprise drug test, you know, implemented, and you're going to test positive. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In a world where more and more states are legalizing recreational use of marijuana, should employers still have the right to say no? We, we don't want any drugs in your system. We are a drug-free workplace, which effectively means, well, you, you risk losing your job if you decide that you're going to smoke pot even on your own time and even outside of work area, work uh, the workplace. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In an era where we are now legalizing pot, should employers – be able to say, nope, we're still going to have a drug-free workplace. 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. All right. So marijuana is going to now be legalized in Illinois. The issue becomes, all right, should employers still maintain their rules against having drugs in your system? Lots of workplaces have that particular rule. My answer would be, yeah, I think employers have every right to do that. And just like they have rights to screen people for, now keep in mind, even though marijuana will be legalized in Illinois, it's also going to be against the law. You know, it's going to be against the federal law. Now, from a practical perspective, I mean, that's not going to be something I don't see the U.S. attorney's offices or the DEA coming in and busting people for use of marijuana. But it's still illegal under federal law. More importantly, I think employers have the rights to set certain types of standards of, of conduct for their employees. And that would be, hey, for example, if they decide that, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, they don't want the school teacher, you know, smoking dope on the weekend and then, you know, coming to school on Monday morning with drugs in their system. I think the school has every right to do that. I think certainly and, and obviously for, you know, professions like, you know, bus drivers or pilots or, or whatever, I think the employer has a reasonable right to say that. And if people don't like it, well, then there's there's a real easy solution to that. And that solution is, well, j- just don't smoke pot or or 
if you're in a situation where you want to smoke pot, recognize that there could be some uh, consequences. Jeff, here's a couple texts. Of course, private employers have the right to institute a drug-free policy, but most employers only use it for initial employment or a critical incident at work causing injury because of the cost. I find it odd that Illinois stated law enforcement can use it while at home, but not on duty. Well, okay, what the Illinois legislature said is that law enforcement can't use it on duty. That doesn't preempt the state police from having a policy saying, you know, we don't want to find pot in the system of a, a state police officer, et cetera, et cetera. But this is one of the, the risks, and it's one of the issues that you run. Here's another text. Jeff, get the job before smoking weed. I work for MPS, and the only drug test I had was part of my pre-employment, which was over five years ago. All right, that raises another one of the real interesting questions that come along with this, and that is, Let's say, let's say you have an employer who who doesn't have random drug testing, all right? They only test, again, again when, before you get the job. And then once you get the job, they, they kind of say, okay, we're not going to bother doing this because of the cost or, or whatever. Then imagine what happens if somewhere along the line there there is there's an incident. You've got somebody that's working at the factory. They passed the drug test, got the job. They're a pot smoker on the weekends. They come in and they, they screw up something on the line and somebody gets hurt or they get hurt. And then as part of the routine investigation, it turns out that the person had, you know, a high level of marijuana, THC in their system. I mean, what what is that going to do? Is it possible that legalizing marijuana in a state is going to encourage employers to say, look, now we got to watch out for this because now the fact that marijuana is legalized means that more people are more likely to do it. So now do we have a greater risk that somebody's going to come to work, you know, with THC in their system or high or whatever, and it might lead to one of these industrial accidents and somebody can get hurt. I think one of the unintended consequences of this, regardless of how you feel about legalized marijuana, is more and more of these employers are going to start looking at, you know, what's our rights and what do we need to do to protect us? ourselves if we want to maintain you know employee safety and this drug-free workplace how do you balance the stuff out time will tell this is jeff wagner live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner well, the stock market down again. This is like three, four, five weeks ever since President Trump decided to pick trade wars with various places, uh, at least with China. He was using tariffs to try to get a better deal from the Chinese. Friday, he really upset the apple cart by saying, OK, we're going to use economic sanctions to try to influence policy, um, something that I think a lot of even the most conservative Republicans just were shaking their heads at stock market, the Dow down almost 100 points right now. More importantly, the tech heavy Nasdaq down 140. That's almost 2 percent. And so um, if if you've been watching the stock market go down and down and down over the last four or five weeks, ever since President Trump decided he was going to start this trade war thing, my cautionary tale is I understand that there's some of you who agree with me. 
that and and I mean I just don't get it. I I just don't get it. There's other people who say no, we've been taking advantage of for years and years, and now's the time we have to make the stand. Here's the only point I would raise for the people who want to support President Trump in that regard: we are moving into an election year. This will be a very, very hotly contested election. And one of the big things that President Trump has going for him is the economy has doing, been doing extremely well. Well, the Dow Jones Industrials lost about 1,500 points um, in May, and June is not starting out any better. So if this continues and President Trump loses the argument that, hey, the economy's been going great guns, that there's there's really not a lot that you can point to that you think is going to get him reelected. So, I mean, I think picking these trade wars, um, I understand some people think long-term it's going to work out, but long-term is a number of years from now, and President Trump might not have that much time. All right, let's switch gears. In the last segment of the program, I was talking about how you've got these 24 people who are running for the Democratic nomination, and they're trying to differentiate themselves from each other, particularly the people who are running on the left. And right now you've got almost everybody that's running against Joe Biden, who's really more more of the centrist candidate. You've got everybody else who's trying to say, okay, no, we we need somebody on the far left. And so they're throwing out ideas. Let me share with you something from the New York Times. Marijuana has gone mainstream. Casino gambling is everywhere. Sports wagering is spreading. You know, like Illinois, just legalized sports uh, betting. Here's the question. Could prostitution be next? Lawmakers across the country are beginning to reconsider how to handle prostitution as calls for decriminalization or legalization are gaining momentum. Decriminalization bills have been introduced in Maine and Massachusetts. A similar bill is expected to be introduced in Washington, D.C. in June. Rhode Island is having hearings on this. Democratic Party campaign, Kamala Harris of California, last month or two months ago, became the first candidate to endorse decriminalization of prostitution. And another candidate, Colorado Governor John Hickenlober, he's also talking about this idea. Here's what Senator Harris says. She says, hey, you're talking about consenting adults. So yes, she says, yes, I think we should really consider that we can't or shouldn't criminalize consensual behavior as long as no one is being harmed. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are moving more towards a liberalization of activities, you know, but involving consenting adults. I mean, it used to be, okay, we're not going to have marijuana. All right, now we're moving to marijuana. And I'm not necessarily linking marijuana to prostitution, but you understand the argument. The thing is, hey, okay, people are doing this. Bans on marijuana haven't worked. You know, why are we criminalizing this? Well, can you make that same argument about prostitution? And if you have a situation where it is consenting adults and you have women that have decided, hey, this is how I want to make money, or guys for that matter, I mean, men or women that decide this is how we want to make money, and then you have, you know, the people who patronize them who say, okay, I I have money, this is how I choose to spend it, should we care as a society? And, for example, this is one of the leading, well, at least one of the significant candidates for the Democratic nomination for president says, yeah, when it comes to consenting adults, it's time 
you know, wh- why should we care what people want to do? And if two people want to have sex and one wants to pay the other for it, why is that anybody's business? All right, on one level, that is compelling. On another level, not so much. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time once and for all to recognize prostitution is the oldest profession? All right, should we decriminalize it or just go ahead and legalize it like we're doing to a, for a lot of other things? 414-799-1620. Is the world a better place if we legalize prostitution? Because the truth is, as you see when you... I don't know, turn on the radio or look at a newspaper or check out a website. Seems like almost every day you're getting somebody prominent that's getting busted for being with a prostitute. Should we just recognize that people are doing this? Let's legalize it. Let's tax it. What do you think? 414-799-1620. I'll share my thoughts and we'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. One of the major candidates for the Democratic nomination for president says, I think it's time to decriminalize prostitution. Kamala Harris argues, well, here's the deal. When you're talking about consenting adults, um, we should really consider that we can't criminalize consensual behavior as long as no one is being harmed. All right. What say you? Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Real well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Uh, I think that would be, a, it would be a bad idea. Number one is you look at it, once it becomes legalized, then it becomes a business. Yep. And then what happens with a business? You have a supply and a demand. And what happens when the, the demand is more than the supply? All of a sudden, now you get into, you know, human trafficking. Well, right. That's, yeah, that's the argument that it might even lead to more, not less. Right, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's, it's one of the things... You know, I understand, you know, I mean, theoretically, you could make the argument where, well, what's the difference between that and taking, you know, taking somebody out for a, buying them dinner and then, you know, doing whatever. But it, it, it's a whole different animal because it it would get, it would get uh, commoditized. So. Well, well, right. No, no, thanks for call, Dave. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I mean, here, here's the bottom line. I have a text here. It says, Jeff. Has the country lost its mind? Next, we'll legalize every criminal activity since people are going to do it anyway. See, I, I, I agree that, and I've got a libertarian streak. I, I understand that, but at the same time, there are certain social mores that I, I think we we all follow, and, and the idea that. Okay, we are going to encourage a, a pay for sex trade. First of all, I think Dave is absolutely right. I think the potential is that this will lead to more people getting involved in human trafficking. But, but secondly, I, I think that at some point in time, we have every right as a society to say, all right, there, there are certain things that we just collectively find unacceptable. And I, look, I, I understand that it goes on. And I understand that it's the world's oldest profession. I refuse to acknowledge, though, the premise that this is a victimless crime. All right. First of all, I, I think the people who are working in this industry, well, I don't know that there's too many young women or men, for that matter, who start off and say, gee, I want to be a prostitute. This is my life's goal to, to make money by selling my body. I, I mean, it's, it's not – I think you can argue that the people who are working in this quote-unquote industry, you know, more often than not are being exploited themselves. Secondly, 
I mean, from the people who are patronizing the prostitutes, for every lonely guy that's out there, there's a family that's being disrupted, etc. I just don't buy the notion that it is a victimless crime. And I also believe, as with legalizing drugs, that the more you do it, if you legalize it, that means that there's just going to be an increase in, in this. And just from a societal perspective, I don't think that that's a good thing. Barb in Brookfield. Hi, Barb. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? Okay. Well, um, you mentioned taxes as um, one. You would tax, tax it, yep. There. Yes. And um, you could control the industry a little better as far as spreading STDs. Uh, STDs are on the rise. Mm-hmm. And um, we got, we're got we looking for ways to reduce that. There's one way. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to the fact we can save some time in court prosecuting these people mm-hmm. and um, some police time. Okay, but do we really, as a society, I mean, is there some sort of behavior that we we still don't we have a right to say there's just some sort of behavior that we 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 don't want to endorse that we that we still want to say is is illegal? I mean, don't we have a right to do that? Yeah, we do. But if you don't want to do it, then don't go to a prostitute. Okay, legalizing it doesn't make it something you want to do. How would you feel about legalizing heroin sales then? No, I don't think so. I, I don't agree with it. Okay, what what what's the what's the difference? If I wanna if I wanna shoot up heroin, why why shouldn't I be able to do that? I mean, why why shouldn't why shouldn't I be able to go to a place where they have you know nurses and are going to watch me shoot up heroin? And if I want to get high, and I am gonna I'm just going to do it myself. Why shouldn't I be able to do that? How is it, how is that the same as prostitution? Well, I mean, I, I how is it different? I mean, if I'm, I mean, if the argument prostitution, prostitution is already occurring, correct? Oh, but so is heroin. So is, so is heroin use. No, I mean, thanks well, to God. No, I guess I, I just. I mean, I, I raise this. No, I understand that. I understand that that heroin use. You know, shooting heroin is not the same as as prostitution. But but it's all going on. And I guess if the argument is, well, people are going to do this. You know, why don't we regulate it? Why don't we provide a safe environment? Why don't we tax it, etc.? Where where do you draw the line? Does the society have the right to say, no, 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 this is going too far? All right, here's some text. Uh, Larry says, Jeff, decriminalize it or legalize it, either one. I've lived in countries where it's commonplace and basically decriminalized, although not legal. The only harm I observe is the way it can affect traditional relationships. For example, women see other women getting paid for sex. Um and they become a little more upfront about money, or men feel they don't need a relationship and just pay for it. Um, but I think this should be an option for everyone, buyers and sellers alike. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's see, a couple of other texts here. Um, has the country lost its mind? Next, we'll legalize every criminal activity since people are going to do it anyways. All right, Mike text Jeff, honestly, legal prostitution leads to much safer situations for women. The government can regulate it to be safer. It's the world's oldest profession. Why should it be illegal? 414-799-1620. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tony. Jeff in Nevada, it's legal. They've been doing it for years. They have no problems. Well, they may, I don't know, but uh, why not? Why not? Regulate it. Make some money. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess because 
it's wrong? <laughs> I don't know how it's. The, I, I mean, just well, because people do it for, for years. Well, I mean, in, in one county, yeah, it's in a couple counties, in Clark County. Not, it's not legal in Vegas, but it's legal in certain right. counties. Yeah, correct. But it's still legal in Nevada. It, it is and legal. Yep. It's been for probably for forever since the Western days. Right. But uh, just like then, they should legalize marijuana right along with it. Um, okay, well, I mean, I get that. Thanks. For, see, that's the argument. That that is the argument. We've legalized. Why, why are we hung up on all these different things? I mean, people are going to do it. It's a victimless crime. Again, I, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I don't buy the idea that that prostitution is in fact a victimless crime. And if you look at the women, and I, again, well, men do it too. But if you look at the women who are involved in as, as prostitutes, right? It, it's not an occupation that people start out doing. It's generally people who, I don't know, drug, and I hate to generalize, but, you know, lots of bad stuff that's going on in their life. Nobody chooses to be a prostitute. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody that chooses to be a, a prostitute. So why should we encourage that lifestyle? And again, if you look at that lifestyle, I'm generalizing, but what you're going to find is it also comes with a series of other social problems as well. That's from the people who are the workers in the sex trade. Then you add on that extra element, again, of the Johns and things like that. I, I'm sorry, I just maybe this is just me being old-fashioned, but I think society has every right to say there's just certain things that aren't acceptable and just because it goes on just because there, there's people who engage in this sort of criminal activity where it doesn't mean that you normalize it and that's what you do you normalize things when you make it it legal and i, I do go back to what our, our my conversation with the previous caller one of the previous callers was that I mean, I understand you might say, well, you know, why are you talking about legalizing heroin when we're talking about prostitution? Because I think it's exactly this. It's a similar sort of thing. The argument would be, well, people are going to do it anyways. It just affects them. And my argument would be, no, it doesn't. You know, prostitution doesn't just affect the person that's soliciting the, the, the sex act. And I understand it goes on. I'm just not sure that we should encourage it. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. I want to be the first to admit, I I did not see this coming. I I said a couple weeks ago, we we were looking at the summer movies that were coming out. And, for example, there's a Dr. Doolittle movie coming out. My response is, okay, with the world, the world needs many things. It doesn't need another Dr. Doolittle movie. I mean, really. Okay, I lump that same category into the Godzilla movies. Now, Melissa, okay, does the world really need another Godzilla movie? Well, I don't think... Are you going to go to the new... There's a new Godzilla movie out. Are you planning to go to it? I'm not probably going to go to it. Of course you wouldn't go to it. No, Drew, are but... you going to go to the Godzilla movie? <laughs> I actually kind of do want you to go the to the Godzilla Okay, movie. all right. Well, that's, that, that tells it all. That, that, that's the target. Oh, okay, no. well, anyhow... I mean, no, I, I, this is where I want to acknowledge this. I'm thinking, okay, I mean, it seems like every two years there's a Godzilla movie that's coming out. Why, why do you need another Godzilla movie? So Godzilla movie opened up, King of the Monsters. And apparently, I've read the reviews of this. Apparently, it's a rumble where Godzilla goes reptile, 
a reptile with, with a couple with like Mothra and Godzilla actually becomes the good guy because instead of trying to destroy everything, Godzilla is trying to save the world from all these other different like like beasts and stuff. But I'm, I'm still thinking even with that premise, I mean, it's like who needs another Godzilla movie? But having said that. All right, it opened number one in the box office, $49 million domestically. But but here's the, the deal, and that was kind of disappointing. But here's the deal. Worldwide, worldwide Godzilla did $130 million, bringing the total up to $179 million, which is just a, a ton of dough. So even though the U.S. was only kind of so-so, the rest of the world just can't get enough of its Godzilla. Why do you want to see the Godzilla movie, Gru? Uh So in the past, all of the Godzilla movies have not been very good because a Godzilla movie is supposed to have the monsters, the action, all of that. They haven't; those movies haven't delivered. This okay, so you, from the you've, very you've, start. Se- you've seen several of the Godzilla movies, huh? Yes. <laughs> okay. See, we learned stuff. Well, huh? I think I think the whole premise here is that people want to make money, yeah. and if people are going to watch it, then. I guess why not make it? Well, exactly. And I guess I was just kind of wondering who would go see it, but yeah. now we know. <laughs> haven't haven't seen it yet, but it's on the list. Okay, it is. It is on the list of movies. All right. Well, you know, there there you go. And just so we know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of this. It's like, okay, does the world need another Godzilla movie? But worldwide, it did almost 180 million dollars in its opening weekend, and so I guess the answer is. Yeah, the world does need another one. You know, the one that got awful reviews that did not do much at all was um, was the uh, Rocket Man. Oh, Yelton really? John that thing. one I went, I would have went and and seen, but um, I didn't. It, it opened a distant third, twenty five million dollars. Now it's getting it, it's getting really people either love it or hate it in the reviews, and a lot of the critics are just brutal. Say it's. It's just a lot worse than like Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody, I was just going to think that, yeah. But but some people, I mean, some of the reviewers like it. So you either love it or hate it. Um, $25 million came in third behind Godzilla, King of the Monsters. What came in What came in second? Oh, Aladdin. Aladdin opened second That one actually looks good. I'm not a Disney fan, but that one's more of like not... It's not uh, cartoonish. Oh, well, I found I found that I'm going to Aladdin sometime soon because my lovely wife said I want to go see Atlanta. You'll go <laughs> right. with me. I want to see Aladdin. You'll and my go boyfriend with me. said I want to go see Godzilla. So I have to. <laughs> who knows? I may be going to see Godzilla. Your boyfriend wants to see. He Godzilla. wants no. to see it. So. Well, Gru hasn't seen it. I mean, hook the two of them up. Know. You know, yeah. <laughs> you go see Aladdin while the two of them are watching. There that. you go. My guess is Mrs. Gru would probably rather see Aladdin than she'd rather see Godzilla. See, I'm one hundred percent. It's a double date. I there was you thinking, have it. There you go. Guys, watch Godzilla. Chicks go to see Aladdin. Works for me. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, so I was listening to and watching the Brewers games over the weekend where they took three or four from the Pittsburgh Pirates. And one of the things that, that struck me about, especially the games on Thursday and Friday night, were the fact that there was nobody in the stands. I mean, I don't know what they announced the attendance in Pittsburgh as, but there, there were not many people there at, at all. And it was, I was thinking, boy, what would it be like to play a Major League Baseball game where, especially if you're from Milwaukee and you play at Miller Park and there's always good-sized crowds, and then you're playing you know, in Pittsburgh and, and there's absolutely nobody there, what must that be like? Well, the reality is, and, and we had a story on Wisconsin's Morning News that we were running through the day, which is is accurate, but it needs a little bit of explanation. 
Major League Baseball attendance is down. As a matter of fact, um, attendance on average, average attendance is down about 3,500 people a game since 2015. Now, that's not true of of the Brewers. As a matter of fact, the Brewers are one of the exceptions. The Brewers are actually, year-to-year comparison, the Brewers' attendance numbers this year are higher than they were in 2018, and they did really, really well in 2018. Um, Through 29 games in 2018, last year, the Brewers were averaging like 33,300 fans. This year, through the same number of games, they're averaging 34,000 fans. Now, for the whole season... Last year, the Brewers averaged like 35,000. So if you look at the average attendance at the end of the year compared to where they are now, it's slightly down. But that's very misleading. That's not the way you look at it because, remember, at the end of last year, they were in a pennant race. In the last 20 or 30 games, they'd have 40,000 people there every night. They're ahead year to year of where they were last year. And my guess is if they continue to play great baseball, they will finish ahead of where they averaged uh, last year. But – but that's that's not the case throughout Major League Baseball. You have a large number of, of teams um, that are taking drops, including some that are taking dramatic drops in attendance. And then you have some teams that there's like nobody showing up. Miami. Miami is averaging 9,400 uh, viewers, uh, fans, a game. Tampa Bay, 13,800. Detroit, 16,700. Baltimore, 16,2. Kansas City, 16,8. Pittsburgh, 17,6. And again, I don't know how, and that, that's tickets sold. That, that's not actual people at the game. I don't know how many people were at the game, like I say, on Thursday and Friday night, but it wasn't close to 17,000. It, it just simply wasn't. But you have attendance all throughout baseball which is, as a general rule, down. Milwaukee is an exception. There's a couple other cities that are exceptions, but those are the exceptions to the rule. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here's my question. What's going on? I mean, baseball used to be the national pastime. Why are fewer people across the industry, you know, going to, to the games? And, you know, what? what's, for example, what's Milwaukee's secret? What is, does, should baseball be worried about this? Is this a permanent sort of thing? Um, or is this just kind of, well, it's sort of an aberration. We had bad weather last year. That was why it was down. We've had bad weather this year. I mean, is there a larger problem and a larger issue going on? Why is attendance down across baseball, although, like I say, not in Milwaukee? 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And is baseball in trouble? We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, let's start with a text. Jeff, Major League Baseball needs to realize there's no sport if the fans don't show up. They need to let the players have fun on the field and make it enjoyable for the fans. They take things way too personal or too strict on the old way that stops games from being as enjoyable as it could be. Well, to that point, as somebody who, who has like a partial season ticket to the Brewers, I, I, I will say it's frustrating that they don't show replays and that, you know, you don't, they don't want to embarrass the umpires and things like that. So as, 
if if there's a call under review, you get to see it. But you're sitting in the stands and you're going, gee, I, I couldn't see that play. And they're not showing it up on the video board. Whereas if I'm sitting at home and I haven't spent $55 for a ticket, I get to see the thing from four or five angles. I, I do think you need to bring the fan experience because the experience watching the games at home is so good with the technology you have to bring some of that to the ballpark and i think that's a challenge jeff downtown jeff you're on wtmj hey jeff good afternoon uh really interesting topic i'm a 10 pack holder per year i go to tuesday night games and i go to other games as well during you know the year some probably have 15 20 games a season if you look at statistics across major league baseball strikeouts are way to way up Right. Offensive statistics are really suppressed. The de- defensive shift has caused a lot of that to uh, occur. So, you know, the games are slow generally, and even though the offense is way down, the game time is still still as long as it used to be, like three hours. Right. So I think a lot of fans are just things to do. And if your team's not in a pennant race, yep. you know, there's just so many other options these days for families and fans alike just to do other things and just catch the games at home on TV when they want to watch baseball. Well, you know, it's interesting, Jeff, your, your point about, like, the shifts and stuff. I, the, I, I went back to 2015, which is that number I threw out about the attendance being down 3,500 on average. Um, that, that really corresponds to when analytics really – Became that. That's when you started seeing the pronounced shifts that everybody does nowadays, and it, it it makes the games go slower. And to an extent, it's taken some of the fun out of the game. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting because I actually don't mind the shift as a defensive strategy because I think then the offense that's your responsibility right. to try to hit opposite field. Well, yeah, but if they're yeah. Gonna, if they're going to give you the whole left side of the infield, and you're a major league hitter, hit it to the left side of the infield. Yeah, you got all off off season to practice that, but. It, you know, as a fan who goes, to, I take lots of friends to games. I'm spending way more time chatting with my friends than watching offense right now. Yeah, interesting. Uh, sitting in the stand. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for call. And uh, you, you made a point about competition. I think this is a huge factor as well, and that is, if, if you more and more teams are tanking, and, and and by that I mean, look, the Brewers' attendance is great, and and Miller Park. You know, you've got the roof, so you know it's always going to be a fun experience. But let's be honest. It's a lot more fun to go out and support a team when they're winning. And if you look at Brewers attendance, now Brewers attendance, because this is a great baseball market, but but Brewers attendance, it, it's, it goes up when the team does well. If you look at Major League Baseball right now, you, you've got a lot of teams which have just made the decision, and this is this this happens in basketball, it happens in football, where they're they're just tanking. They're not competitive. They say, okay, well, we're not going to be able to compete for the division championship. So, okay, we're going to try to win, but let's the worse we finish, the better, the higher a draft pick we get, and so they're losing a ton of games. And and I I mean the bottom line is it's just more fun to go to a game and I'm. Look, maybe maybe somebody, let's take a Brewers fan, maybe, you know, a baseball fan or somebody would go to a game, maybe you go to two or three games a year. If your team is in a pennant race, though, okay, maybe you're going to go five, you're going to go ten times. If, on the other hand, your team isn't competitive, your team's 10 or 15 games behind by Memorial Day, well, all right, if somebody gives you tickets, maybe you're going to go. And maybe if you're a really hardcore fan, you're going to go. But if you're a casual fan, you're not. I think this whole process problem with this competitive imbalance and teams i'm not saying they're not trying to win but they're, they're they're tanking there's no there's no penalty for losing i think that suppresses attendance as well 414-799-1620 daniel on the south side hi daniel you're on wtmj 
Hey, how are you, Jeff? Good. What do you think? Um, What's going on here? Just, you know, my thing is, is just cost involved in to go into a game. Um, and it's kind of like, I guess, with the Bucks too. But you go to a game, even, okay, me, for instance, with uh, my girlfriend, we go to a game. We're looking at about 150 bucks. Yeah. And that's two people. Just yeah. Two people. You bring three kids. You know, and then they got premium parking on certain days when yep. certain teams are playing. You're looking at thirty dollars to park there. I mean, yeah. they need to come up with a solution for their food. Their foods, their beers are eight dollars for a twelve pound cup. Ten dollars. I mean, yeah. I don't see how any American average, you know, somebody making forty thousand a year, they can't go to the game. <laughs> well, you're, you can't. You're, it's, it's very difficult to take. No, thanks for calling. I mean, I, pricing is always is always an issue. And, and you're right. Um, now, I understand they have discount days, and there's some nights that you could probably get a deal and things like that. But you're you're right. And I, I don't want to talk about the Brewers. I want to talk about you know, baseball in general, and especially a team. Let, let's say you're, you're, you've got a team that's not good. You, you know it's not going to be good. You know you're, you're a fan of the Baltimore Orioles. Well, you know the Baltimore Orioles aren't going to be competitive this year. You're a fan of the Detroit Tigers. Same thing. You're a fan of Kansas City. Same thing. You're a fan of Miami or Tampa. I mean, well, Tampa's, I guess, doing pretty well this year. But all those different types of things that are going on, and then you're saying, okay, well, I'd like to go out to a ball game, but to your point, yeah, it's going to cost me for just two of us to go. If we have a couple beers and we have something to eat and we park, it's going to it's going to be a $100 night. And if I take you know the family out there, it's going to be a $200 night. You know, Maybe we'll go see a movie. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to... Al, who's calling us from Northern Michigan. Hi, Al. Hey, how are we doing today? Good. We're in we're in the UP area. Uh, north of Menominee, uh, a little little town called Stevenson, Michigan. Okay, I uh, I used to spend summers up in Marquette, Michigan. So I'm all, at least a couple weeks at Northern Michigan University. I always used to like that. Yeah, I got two kids that graduated from Northern. <laughs> okay, all right. Why is baseball attendance uh, struggling? I got, I, got, I got three reasons for you. I got three reasons why the Brewers are doing good and three reasons why the rest of the nation is doing bad. Number one, weather. Yep. I mean, watch the weather. You know, in the last three weeks, God, every morning there's a band of storms and weather and tornadoes going across the mid-nation. And I just feel sorry for all these people. They've just get and floods everywhere. Oh yeah, well let me stop you on that. You know, it's like I say, I, I I've got a twenty pack that I share with one of with my best friend, and there have been a couple nights where. I don't know if they would have been able to play the games, you know, because of the weather. But I will tell you, if they had played them, I wouldn't have gone, you know, because I'm not going to sit out in 25 or 30 degree weather and freeze, you know, my butt off. But Miller Park, hey, you know, there's going to be a game. You know, it's comfortable. So we go. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So and and then and then, you know, it's a kind of a compound reason. But we all have busy schedules. Like when we go to a game, we take two carloads, eight to ten people from northern Michigan. And we love going down with the Brewers games. But, you know, all these people have busy schedules, and this weather, they don't know if it's going to get rained right. out, and they got to plan this three, four days ahead of time. You know, then the second the second major reason, that was first one was kind of twofold, but the second is TV coverage. Mm-hmm. I mean, TV coverage is just getting better and better. Yeah. I see the strike zone. I, yeah. see the, I see the on-base percentage. I see the slugging percentage. I see the... You see, you see the replays. You see, you know, you'll, you'll, you, you know, you watch the replays two or three times from all different angles. Even on routine plays, you don't see any of that at the ballpark. Yeah, I no, yeah. Th- no, thanks. I see. I do think, I do think that's that's a factor. You know, one of the things, 
I, I don't go to that many. I probably go to one Packers game a year, maybe two. Um, but, but you know, one of the things that pro football recognized is they're they're competing, you know, again with themselves on the TV coverage, and so that's why if you go to Lambeau Field, they they show. Every play, I'm, I guess I'm willing to be corrected, but I don't think so. I mean, I, my recollection is whenever I'm there, they've got those giant scoreboards, and after the play is run, they show that play. So, you know, you, you can see it again. You watch it in real time, and then you can see it again. Well, I mean, I do. I, we get used to that sort of stuff. And I, and I will tell you, it is a frustration I have. And this, I'm a Brewers fan. I love going to the ballgames. I think Miller Park is a great experience. But it is. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, if I was at home, I could see exactly where that pitch was. Or if I was at home, I could see whether he made the tag. You know, and you just... You don't see that, and I understand sometimes the folks at the Brewers will say, well, we've got time limits. I'm not sure, with all due respect, that I buy that. I think it's that you know they don't want to embarrass the umpires on close calls and things like that. How much time does it show to... Does it take to, you know, replay the hit? They do that for some, but they don't do it on a regular basis for others. Let's talk to Tom in Greenfield. Hi, Tom. Yeah, I think the baseball, uh, they said this year's um, so far has hit 1,500 home runs yep. and they're on pace to hit about eight to 10,000. And I think that people get bored on that, that all of a sudden real baseball isn't there anymore. It's mm-hmm. just uh, a lot of home runs, uh, whether it's the Brewers or anybody else. A lot of home runs and a lot of strikeouts. Yeah, and uh, yeah. people are getting bored at that. They want to see ba- they want to see baseball like baseball used to be. Yeah, no, I think I mean thanks. I mean there is there is something to that. The, the modern game of baseball is here. Let let's try to hit home runs. It used to be you, you didn't want to strike out. Well, now okay, it doesn't matter. You can strike out as much as you want as long as you hit some of the home runs. I do think those are all challenges. I I go back to my basic premise though. I I think and this is I don't know how to I don't know what the answer is. I think the competitive imbalance is. You're always going to have the weather and things like that. But if you have 30 teams and if you have 20 teams that are essentially out of contention, and right now I think, you know, okay, here we are, June 1st. There's just right after Memorial Day, three teams are leading their divisions by eight and a half games or more. Well, you know that's not going to be competitive. I mean, I don't know how you address it, but I do think if you've got a competitive imbalance, it's going to be a problem. Uh, the Brewers don't have to worry about that. They're in a very, very interesting pennant race, and uh, it's going to be tight, and they're going to do very, very well, and they should. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Please stick around.